This is the big time, girly. This is rock and roll. Hey everybody, you're in the dummy room. I'm Jody Have Not, joined as always by Mr. Nate Demmel. What's up, Nate Demmel? Not much, man. How you doing tonight? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How you doing? I'm, uh, I'm doing good. Um, the, uh, the heat in my Jeep took a shit today, so. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it's like the coldest day of the year, too. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's down in the low, you know, I don't know if it's like five degrees or something. Oh, boy. Yeah, so this morning, it was a hard ride, and then, uh, yeah, coming in tonight, definitely, uh, definitely cold, man. So you're a Jeep guy, huh? Yes. I bet it's making our, uh, dummy room listener, Bill Elam, very happy right now, I bet. He's a Jeep <laughs> guy, too. He's way into it. it. It's, um, it snowed last night. I don't know, we got like six inches, and, uh, biggest storm of the year, and it's fucking cold, and my heat takes a shit. Damn. Fuck you. <laughs> what did you do? Just bundle up and make it home? Yep. Yep. It's it's all right. Yeah. It'll get fixed, though. So. Right. So this is episode 37. Yes, 37. Last week was the uh, 80s thing. Yep. <laughs> and you know, yeah. when we were thinking of those fucking movies, one glaring omission, dude. I didn't even think of it in the in the Ghostbusters. No, that was on there. But no fucking Teen Wolf, dude. I watched that like two weeks ago, man. Teen Wolf denied. <laughs> it's bogus because yep. that's a classic, dude. Teen Wolf. Yeah. That dude. It's hilarious. You know how many messages I got about that fucking episode? Oh, yeah? I got a lot. Yeah. Um, were people into it or were people Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you guys definitely. Are stupid. No, what are you doing? No, actually, su- surprisingly, I can't believe anybody made it all the way through that thing. <laughs> but um, no, Dude, a lot of. It, it was like three hours. I cut an hour <laughs> out of it in okay. editing. So, to everyone who's writing me and complaining about the movies we left off, it wasn't our fucking list. Right. <laughs> you know? It was somebody else's list. We were just reading it. But yeah, people were. It was, they were acting like it was my fault. Like I left off the movie, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so, if we made the list, it would have been totally better because that list was a little fucked. Yeah, my buddy Sean was, uh, he was looking for Porky's, Starman, Oh God, and Roadhouse. Dude, yeah, Porky's especially. <laughs> yep. Yeah, another. Ball breaker. Dude, that movie, that's another one. There's no way. You couldn't, <laughs> it could not happen. Nope. <laughs> I love when that dude's like, there's so much wool you could knit a sweater. Oh my god, dude! It's not really a good thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, damn. So, um, last weekend you uh, you got the big storm. How's your um, how's your snow situation down there? Oh Jesus Christ, man! We got like 11 (laughs) inches, and now it's in that phase where the roads are clear, but at the side of every road is this like gray, disgusting, dirty snow everywhere, and uh, you know. And you know what comes next is the slop fest once this shit finally melts off. So <laughs> it's not going to be any better anytime soon, man. I fucking hate snow. I just hate yeah. snow. You uh, you missed uh, Mr. D experience last weekend? Yeah, we're totally snowed in, dude. 
that sucks i even got someone to cover my gig which ended up getting canceled anyway because of the snow like everything was just everyone just shut everything down that day everyone kept talking about it all week oh we're gonna get hit with a blizzard on friday and i'm like yeah right people always talk all that shit you know what I'm saying? and i never believe it because it usually doesn't happen but yeah this time it actually happened and we live like in a lot of hills we, there was no way to even get out of here like even if i wanted to somehow brave the blizzard because the show happened but i there was no way i was going to make it up like either way out there's just no way you know so yeah we were snowed in dude until like sunday finally the roads i got up the hill <laughs> it was crazy well. dude. it was like the fucking shining over here <laughs> uh well dude it was uh beautiful here um we had no snow it was actually you know it pretty mild for us Oh, hey, before I forget, yesterday was uh, Dan Vapid's birthday. Happy birthday, Dan. Yeah, happy birthday, Vapid. Should we sing it to we him? We should. <clears throat> happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no. We should, uh, we should play, play some a Vapid song. Vapid songs. Yeah, what do you want to play? What do you want to hear? Uh, how about this, man? How about we come up with a quick list of our top three Vapid songs? Top three? Yeah. In, in order? I, I, I'm not doing them in order. in order because I can't do that either. Um, back to you. Of course. Riverdale's. Yeah. <sighs> Someday. Okay. Okay. Sludgeworth, of course. Right. Oh man. Um. Far away.
maybe mm, maybe mess we made too god damn that's a tough one (laughs) yeah we will yeah we'll we'll tackle this later on but what do you got i got back to you yeah I'll i'll just go back to you someday and far away i probably have maybe um just to be a little different maybe you don't know me anymore uh methadones Mm-hmm. I'd probably go with um, man. That's a tough choice. I really like. I really like that song by the Riverdales. You know you do. You know that song. Mm-hmm. It's on phase. What is it on phase three? I think. Um, coming in at number one. I'd probably go with. I'm shocked. Are you? <laughs> a little well, bit. <laughs> I don't even know, man. I might go with. Um, Dude, I'm going to go with Miracle Drug. Just to kind of, you know, mix it up and get some cheats on this fucking list. If I become addicted to you, that would be alright. I may go through a jaws of you to leave my side. From the love, from the love that you give to me. From the love, from the love, I sure do believe. You pick me up, I don't feel like a saying those are in my in any kind of order but i love all three of those songs and it's hard to pick three songs by vapid dude i mean the dude everything he touches is fucking turns to gold yeah yesterday when i got to work i made a quick playlist and i i ended the fucker at 27 songs and i i cut out a lot of shit so yeah damn i didn't even think about the mopes (laughs) 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 there's so many good ones it's hard to say yeah i i you know, yeah, Undecided's a great one. Uh, Falling Forward's great. Um, Diabolic, that always yeah, comes to mind too. Really but cool. I feel like I have to say back to you every time because that I've kind of declared yeah, that. You have declared it like a southern bell. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I love I this. So back to you. 
I, I jump around. I know I'm, you know, I'm back and forth all the time, but man, that one's good. It really is. So happy birthday, Vapid. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to the new Cheats record coming out in March. You excited, dude? I am excited. And there's a release show in your town coming up. Yeah. And be good I might be there. We'll see. Yeah. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, also, a uh, new Teenage Bottle Rocket song came out this week. I Want to Be Your Dog. Yeah. It sure What'd did. What do you think? Well, there's, you know. there's been some, uh, I don't know. I've heard I've heard nothing super positive about it. I liked it, but I think it sounds good, and Cody sounds fucking great, and the music sounds good. But I didn't like the lyrics that much, man. I mean, it's kind of I don't know. It just wasn't for me, really. That said, dude, I'm still kind of stoked that they got a new record coming out because you know there's going to be at least on every Bottle Rocket record there's at least one or two really great Cody songs. Mm-hmm. And they always push the goofy ones first, so. They save the good ones for us heads that are going to dig into the record. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm still excited about the record. It'll be good, man. I didn't think the song was as good as a lot of other shit by them, though. Not even close. But, I mean, these guys made fucking total, dude, you know? You can't get much cooler (laughs) than that. You know, I mean, that record is still, to me, just from front to back, just one burner after another, you know? Yep, it's a great record. You kind of love it. Yes. So last weekend, I ended up going to uh, Winona, Minnesota to see uh, my friend's porcupine play. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a good time, man. Um, Porcupine is a band uh, from Minneapolis. Their bass player is Greg Norton from Hooskerdoo. Punk rock legend Greg Norton from Hooskerdoo. Absolutely, dude. Can't leave that part out, dude. (laughs) Um. All right, so we got there early, you know, and at one point, like right away, I was in this room, kind of like the side of the bar. Greg Norton walks in, and I'm like six feet away from Henry Clooney from Stiff Little Fingers. That's cool. That's pretty much it. It was like five people in the room. Those two are two of them. Unbelievable. So, um, show's good. Porcupine's a weird band. Um, hard to describe them. Kind of a... Nah, I don't even know how to describe them, so...
they play their set, and then uh, Henry Clooney gets up with them and does a Buzzcock song, and he does a Stiff Little Finger song. I posted a video for it. It was awesome, and yeah, dude, it was it was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it sounds great. So, yep, I got to meet them both, and they were both uh, pretty cool guys. And so tonight we have Greg Norton on with us. And full disclosure, we've already recorded it, so it, it does happen. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, dude, it was pretty cool of him to you know give us any kind of time at all. He was pretty cool because... You know, just being a fan of the guy, it's kind of cool. He's a legend, and he's leaving band practice from the Twin Cities, and he's on the phone talking to two idiots in the dummy room. <laughs> it's a cool thing, yeah. you know, as far as being like a fanboy geek. That's that's just kind of cool, you know? This guy's a legend. Yeah. In those cities especially, he's like a god, you know? Yep. So he's rolling out from practice, and he's just on the phone with the freaking dummy room. It's kind of cool. If you would have told cool. me that when I was like 13, <laughs> I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Every once in a while, it's just, it's kind of amazing some of the shit that happens here, you know? Yeah. Pretty so cool. uh, how'd you get in, how'd you, how'd you get into Husker Du? Oh, man. I think I've mentioned this dude to you before, man. My fucking Uncle Dwayne. He's my punk rock uncle. <laughs> and I just always, <laughs> he was would have been probably, you know, I don't know, late teens or something when Husker Du was... You know, in the early days, in the early 80s and shit. So, and even like in old family photos, there's pictures of him rocking the Husker Du t-shirts and Black Flag and all this shit. And I always just thought he was fucking cool, you know. He was just like my, this cool older uncle. And he kind of, just even wearing a t-shirt of a band made me interested in it. If You know what I'm saying? I was mm-hmm. that young and impressionable. But yeah, it kind of started there. And But I got into the early shit, man, like... The first thing I had was Everything Falls Apart, which is kind of different than what they became, you know? It's a lot more hardcore. And I kind of leaned mm. towards those earlier records, be- I don't know, just because that was the first shit I heard by them, you know? So, you're kind of on the other end of that, though, right? Yeah, I um, I was like 14 or 15, my buddy Ryan, his, um, his dad owned a fucking boat harbor in town here and uh ryan would work there in the summer and whatever and weekends and shit and a couple guys that worked there were just cool guys you know actually one of them is um i don't know if you've ever heard of that stoner metal band called bongzilla but (laughs) um that guy one of the guys mike mike from that band used to work there so he was always sending him home with different different shit you know fugazi husker do you know whatever so That's how we got into like all that stuff at an early age. And then um, my mom gave me Flip Your Wig when I was uh, for my 15th birthday. And um, I still play it to the day, man. The same copy. Right on. So it's been many, many, many years, right? Yeah. But that was like lo- love that band. or something. Yeah. Well, I got it. Well, in, yeah. Like 90, whatever it was, 92, 93. But still, yeah, ages ago. Old man. Still, yeah, I still <laughs> love that record, dude. And um, they 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 paved some roads, right? I mean, uh, I, definitely they were hitting the alternative rock thing pretty good, you know. Yeah, they they kind of invented that almost, you know. Yeah, <laughs> when you think about it, it's like if you think about like college radio, you think about these guys, REM, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, these guys especially in replacements, like those are the big three of that. What I think of immediately, you know. Mm-hmm. As far as that kind of thing goes, but yeah, 
and you can hear their influence all through the 90s like a lot of those like you know so-called what they called grunge or whatever alternative bands at the time or whatever mm-hmm. a lot of them have this sound like you know 10 10 12 years later tried to have it yeah <laughs> but uh yeah so what did you think of sugar did you follow bob into sugar i did sugar was great Fuck yeah. um um yeah sugar it, Bob's solo stuff is you know I, i'd prefer sugar but it's still good um grand heart stuff is great nova mob was good um yeah yeah those guys you know they were they were clearly competing <laughs> um yeah yeah but you know sometimes that competition brings out the best in people on both sides of it you know so the the fans are the ones that benefit so it's a good thing yeah yeah well you know those those later husker do records were um you know it was like every other song you know <laughs> yeah it was so, one of them and it was like it's you know it's like i said but i've told you before it's this is the kind of band where you almost have to choose choose sides you know yeah. bob mold or grand heart and that's a tough choice to make it's a really tough choice so so do you prefer the like the poppier husker do or the early like more hardcore shit Oh, the poppy side for sure. Flip your wig, Candy Apple Grey, the two, uh, the two best Who's Could Do records. Yeah, see, I kind of like the old school. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I like I like it all. Don't get me well, wrong. Uh, yeah, but, me yeah. too. But I was I was telling someone earlier tonight that when I start, I don't I don't start at the beginning. I start at Flip Your Wig every right. time.
I probably go Flippy Wig and then down to Zen Arcade and New Day Rising and and right. um, I think it just yeah, like, everything falls where you, apart. Where you jumped on, like the first shit I heard was off, off the Everything Falls Apart, you know. So yeah, it's a little different than even though some of those songs are kind of in that poppy vein, like uh, the self the title track alone, you know, it's pretty it's pretty poppy, dude. just has a certain thing when i hear these records i don't know what it is but they just sound like they're all the records sound like they're in the winter <laughs> like it's cold as fuck you know what i'm saying <laughs> i don't know if that's just all in my head do you feel that at all i i know what you mean um There's like it, a certain it, thing about it, it it feels that way yeah it feels like i need to be inside warming up to this yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i don't know what that is i've never really thought about that but yeah, yeah. For sure. And it, to me, it always sounds better in the winter. Like, if it's cold out, there's certain music <laughs> that I kind of go to when it's fucking balls cold, and who screwed is one of those bands. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing that if you lived in California, you know, it's a June day, and you're going to go surfing, who screwed you might, might not be the band you're throwing on. <laughs> Just It doesn't scream, let's head to the beach. <laughs> right. So, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, there's like this winter feel. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, the singer of Porcupine, his name is Casey. Um, he's an old friend of mine. He's been around lacrosse forever. He's, you know, he's he's that guy, you know, worked at the guitar shop and everything. And um, incredible songwriter. Um, I've seen he's been in, you know, numerous bands over the years and stuff. And just for him to be able to, you know, <laughs> finally get the attention he deserves, you know, it's just kind of weird why it's happening. But 
Yeah, he's a big Husker Du fan too. So, right on. you know, it's I'm just uh, happy for him. You know, yeah. and um, to be a yeah. big fan and then have you know someone from the band in your band, it's got to be cool. Yeah, and I mean he's he's older than me, so it's not like he's you know a young guy like me playing with uh you know punk rock legend. Not, not that Greg's old or anything, but you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. But yeah, it's a good fit, man. I mean, he fits that band really well, and uh, they're going on the road soon. They're going out east, so uh, PorcupineBand.com, I think it is. Check them out. Yeah. So, uh, you want to get right into it, or you got anything else to do? I don't got anything to do. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, episode thirty-seven, Greg Norton of Porcupine and Husker Du. Let's just do it. We have news for the beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, why don't you just come down here and join us, okay? All right, so we're here with a legendary bass player from Husker Du, currently playing with a band from Minneapolis called Porcupine, who uh, used to be based out of La Crosse, now they're out of Minneapolis, of course. And, uh, of course, we're talking to Mr. Greg Norton. How you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for, um, for 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 having me. Before we uh, before we dive into Husker Du a little bit, let's let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now with Porcupine. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen Porcupine or heard them, um, I, I I've known Casey forever, and um, I cannot describe that band. <laughs> I don't know what to call okay. you guys. Um, it's usually a rock band. That's what they say, but it's uh it's certainly not a regular rock band. Right. Yeah, I would I would say, you know, um, you know, and, and actually even going back to uh, back in Husker Du days where people would be like, well, what, what kind of music do you play? And it's like, well, for lack of a better term, I think we play rock and roll, uh, but uh, which is leaves it pretty broad. And, and um, uh, yeah, you know, with with uh, the musicianship of. Ian Prince and and uh, Casey's songwriting, and then you know throwing me in the mix on bass. It's like, uh, yeah, I definitely could see how we would be a, a band that would be hard to pigeonhole. Uh, you know, it's uh, some stuff that we play. I'm like, wow, that's kind of like you know pop, pro- pop prog, you know, pop progressive rock. Yeah. Uh, some stuff definitely is, um, you know. Um, kind of has more of a you know a, kind of a punkish vibe to it in in the best sense not in in any cliched sense uh but yeah i mean it all boils down to it's it's um, um it's rock it can be eclectic it can be straight ahead it can be you know it's really whatever you want it to be i guess yeah we don't play new country though <laughs> no you don't um yeah. yeah so i went and saw you guys last weekend had a great time um I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of Husker Du videos, and I gotta say, man, you look the same. You're <laughs> jumping around. You have the same energy. It's like you haven't aged. Um, where where? How do you, you know? <laughs> were you just itching to get back on stage? I know you haven't uh, played in a while. Yes, I I was, and um, you know, after after Husker broke up, I you know I I kind of had a couple of. Um, couple of bands that uh you know we just for one reason or the other or another just uh 
weren't really able to to get much going and then got into the, the restaurant business and literally went 14 years without even picking up my base uh, and then um, met Dave King from the at a bad plus show and and uh, you know he's like hey I've got this idea for for a band I think you'd be the perfect bass player for it so I actually like went out and at that point, I didn't even have a bass amp, so I bought a small combo amp and started playing again, and that's how Gang Font came about. And uh, you know, Gang Font, we've recorded a couple of records, and you know, that band has been together for over ten years. But you know, it's one of those things we only play like once a year because all the other guys in the band are always on the road. They're full-time uh, musicians, and with their other projects, they're they're world-renowned jazz players. Uh, so, you know, Gang Fountain was a lot of fun, but I was definitely wanted to play more. And uh, I've loved Porcupine ever since the first time that, that I uh, saw them uh, about 10 years ago in lacrosse. And then, you know, we played a few, uh, I played a few shows with them when I had a little improv uh, rock combo called Con Queso. And, uh, you know, just was really struck by Casey's. Um, uh, songwriting and and uh, and his vocals and, and his guitar playing and and you know I always you know always thought every time I saw him it's like man I wish I could like you know find a guitar player like this and then lo and behold he found me you know he called me up one day and was like hey do you still play your bass and I'm like yeah and I'd love to play it more so he's like hey would you consider maybe playing with Porcupine I'm like I thought you'd never ask so um, you know it's it's been fantastic and. I think uh, uh, each one of us, I think, brings a, 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 an energy to the band, and, and uh, we we inspire each other, and and it just uh, you know fires me up. It take, actually takes me back to early Husker days, as far as the vibe and how it feels to, to play. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of uh, get a little carried away and can't help myself from bouncing around. So that's, <laughs> that's I guess that's what I do. Um, sometimes uh for better and sometimes for worse so <laughs> and there you go yeah i was uh i was i was telling jody and i posted a video um from saturday night with uh henry clooney got up and you guys did a little you did a buzzcock song and a stiff little finger song and um before the show had started um henry was sitting there it must have been with his wife and mm-hmm. you walked yep. in the room and at, at that moment i was in the same room with basically just you and him and I was like, I just couldn't believe it. You know, it was just <laughs> kind of magical to be in this, uh, like I was telling Jody, just this small bar in Winona, Minnesota with these two, you know, punk rock legends. How long have, uh, have did you guys know? Henry, you guys must have known Henry from back in the day, right? Uh, you know, this this is kind of, it's a great story of, of um, when Who's Do first got together. So, you know, 79 and uh you know we're bob and grant and i were listening to as as much stuff as we could find and i was working at uh, northern lights records in in uh st paul on university avenue and and um uh, inflammable material came out and we we're like holy crap man this is a, such a fantastic record
the Stiff Little Fingers had such a, they, they had a huge impact on us. Uh, and it's one of those things, it's, uh, when we did our CD release show at Ice House back in November, and um, Casey's like, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody, and he walks me up, he goes, yeah, this is Henry Clooney from Stiff Little Fingers. I'm like, what? No way. So as it turns out, <laughs> Henry had met Casey when Casey worked at Dave's Guitars because um, Henry's he lives in Rochester, Minnesota for five months out of the year, and he has for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, something like that. And uh, so he kind of found Dave's as a guitar shop, and that's how he met Casey. Um, and, and I think, you know, Henry has done some stuff with Porcupine in the past. I think he, he did like a solo acoustic thing uh, with him in lacrosse a few years ago. But um, we, we just played Rochester, Minnesota on New Year's Eve, and I was like, hey, what do you guys think we uh, give Henry a call and see if he wants to jump up on stage and join us for a couple of numbers? And, and Casey and Ian were like, that's a brilliant idea. Let's do it. So, <laughs> uh, And it was also one of those things where, you know, we, we needed to, they wanted an, an, an hour and a half of music out of us. And like, we're like, oh, okay, we're going to have to stretch it a little bit. So we're like, uh, well, let's let's add a Buzzcocks tune. You know, it's Pete Shelley had you know just recently passed away, so we mm-hmm. already knew that we were going to do um, uh, Why Can't I Touch It, and uh, asked Henry if he wanted to jump up and join us, and he's like, Oh yeah, I'd love to. And then we're like, Oh great, and hey, if there's any Stiff Little Fingers song you'd like to play, we'd be happy to learn it and would be honored to have you join us. So uh, at first he was thinking Alternative Ulster, but he's like, Oh no, let's do Got to Get Away. So. Uh, Henry met us at Soundcheck on New Year's Eve. We ran through the songs once and like, uh, like, oh, okay, I think we got it. And then uh, played them that night and it was spot on. It's like we had been playing these songs forever. And so uh, Rochester on New Year's Eve, uh, maybe six or seven people in the audience were actually like really excited to see what was going on <laughs> on the stage. And uh, so uh, for... Uh, last Saturday's gig at Ed's, it's like, well, hey, Henry, it's like, why don't you come join us again? And we'll actually get you up on stage in front of a bar full of people that'll be like actually into what's going on. And he'd like, was like, sure, I'd love to. So that was great. That was the, the second time we had performed those two songs with Henry. And that's, that's that story. So super, super nice guy. And um, yeah, it's like, I was telling him, it's, you know, London London Calling came out, and I, at the first listen of that record, I was kind of, as a young punk rocker, I was kind of disappointed in it. I wanted to hear more of uh, Give Them Enough Rope. <laughs> and um, so discovering uh, Inflammable Material was like, ah, okay, I don't need The Clash right now. I've got these guys, so all's, all is good. Right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you guys sounded great. I mean, with Henry, without Henry, you guys really, uh, Porcupine, they're going out on tour soon. Um, but, um, you guys are, I wouldn't want to play after you guys. Um, (laughs) Casey's guitar playing, I was telling Jody, it's unbelievable. You know, it's like, it doesn't even look like he's playing chords. It's, Mm -hmm. you can't figure out what he's doing. Your drummer, Ian, frankly, scares the shit out of me. He, (laughs) he beats the shit out of those drums. And um, and you're up there bouncing around. You're having a good time. Your fingers are going everywhere, you know. Um, but you know, 
uh, back in the Husker Du days, I mean, you listen to those old records, and it's like you were doing the same thing then. I mean, you were playing, you know, pretty incredible bass lines. Um, were you writing all that stuff yourself back in the day, or were you taking direction from one of the writers? <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, Bob, Bob, and Grant would, you know, they they would write write the songs, write out the chord structure. But as far as the actual lines go, I mean, that was pretty much up to my own. To what I was hearing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day, and it's you know, particularly a, a lot of the early Husker stuff. It was like, okay, there was a lead guitar player, there was a lead drummer, and then there was uh, a rhythm bass player. And in a sense, the bass kind of filled in for the rhythm guitar on a lot of that stuff. You know, I wasn't necessarily playing. Uh, uh, at the at the very bottom end, I was more in, in like the middle, kind of the middle register, and in uh, the play the way that the lines would fill in with the guitar, kind of you know doubled as the bass and the rhythm guitar, which you know made us sound like we were more than three people, and that's just the way that I you know learned how to play, and that's how I still kind of play and construct uh, you know bass lines. Uh, to, to work with with stuff so uh, somebody made the comment that you know in in the the early days without the uh, the melodic baseline weaving through a lot of that stuff uh, like uh, land speed record would just be just another thrash album <laughs> and I was like wow holy shit that's high praise thank you very much yeah. that's probably the <laughs> nicest compliment ever anybody's ever given me on my bass playing so um, that was nice to hear. Yeah. So when you guys first got together as Cusker Du, were you consciously trying to be kind of hardcore? You know how like land speed is pretty hardcore. You know, was that a conscious thing, or did it just kind of naturally happen? Well, uh, so we played our first gigs in uh, uh, March 30th and 31st of 1979 as a Cusker um, Du made their their world debut as a four-piece cover band in a in a uh, crappy little three-two bar. Actually, no, it wasn't a three-two bar. It was a it was a dive bar in St. Paul on, on called Ron's Randolph Inn. And uh, basically, all that happened. Grant and I worked at a record store on the McAllister campus. Uh, Bob hung out there. Uh, that's how we all met. And uh, the the guy that ran the shop, our manager, was you know he he was uh, like four years older than us and uh all set to go off and be a stockbroker. but you know he this one one day he's like hey grant we have to put a band together i got us a gig at ron's randolph Inn, and and uh so like in a month we learned three sets of cover songs and we were playing um uh everything from the buzzcocks and paraubu to uh the velvet underground and um uh, Gene Vincent and uh, we did a Ramon surf medley and uh, you know just all all sorts of stuff you know some uh, cool. rock pile stuff some Nick Lowe stuff Elvis Costello and the three of us were like hey this is this works I, uh, let's let's keep playing but let's not invite the keyboard player back because you know <laughs> we we kind of thought he was a little square so uh, uh we started rehearsing in the basement of Northern Lights, and where where I was working, and uh, started writing our own material, and and 
like literally three weeks later, Charlie calls back up and says, hey, I got us another gig at McAllister for Springfest, and we're going to headline. And so we got up and we played, and they're like, hey, you still have like 15 minutes left. So Bob Grant and I jumped back up there, and we played three original songs. And Charlie had no idea what the hell was going on. So that was really the birth of Husker Du right there. Hmm. And in those... From that moment, uh, April 20th, 1979, all the way up through um, the beginning of 1981. So so really for, for like about a year and a half, uh, we were writing a lot of songs. It was a lot of different stuff. You know, a lot of that can be heard on the, the Savage Young Do box set that came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we were definitely, we were influenced by a lot of English stuff, a lot of stuff that came out of uh, Manchester, you know, it's uh, the Buzzcocks for sure. Uh, Joy Division was a big influence on us. There was this darker side to, to Husker, and it's like that winter between 80 and 81, it's like, you know, the, the Jealous Again uh, record came out from Black Flag and bob heard it and it was like like uh, like it flipped a switch in his brain and then all of a sudden bob kind of got obsessed with hardcore and we did our first tour out west and you know we were going out west where it was all everybody was into it was all hardcore everybody right. wanted hardcore and we recorded land speed record at the end of that tour and i i think it you know it it um when we played in the entry, when we got back, I think uh, some people were like, oh, my God, what happened to these guys when they were out west? What did they turn into? And other people <laughs> were like, wow, holy crap, this is great. you know." So, uh, But it was an in- interesting transformation. Uh, you know, obviously, we there were still some hardcore elements moving forward from that. Uh, you know, initially, we always did start out saying, like, we want to play faster than the Ramones. And then we wanted to play faster than the Dickies and land speed record. You know, we were just trying to be like the fastest band on, on the planet type of thing. Um, but you know, after, after we kind of got that out of our system, so to speak, I, you know, the, the melody was always there. And then yeah. that started to work its way back into the forefront of the songwriting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even by in a free land, you guys were already kind of on that pop trajectory, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Don't be afraid. You're the middle of my battle. 
So at the time when you were making these records, I mean, did you guys have any idea that it would be considered like legendary stuff or was it just kind of something you did for fun or what? Well, we knew that we were making good records, uh, but we definitely didn't think that we were rewriting, you know, the history of music. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I think the fact that the music is held up is what, you know, I mean, it holds up fantastic you, you know to today compared to a lot of a lot of things uh, you know in, in a sense that you know we wrote we, we wrote some some timeless music and and that's um, I think the the highest uh, the highest thing that you can hope for when you're when you're writing music is that it can stand the test of time uh, but now we definitely weren't going like oh yeah well we're totally rewriting uh, music <laughs> history right now Right. Uh, you know, we were just out there, you know, hustling for for gigs and and uh, you know playing shows, and you know there were there were, you know, we were doing our own thing. We weren't part of any one particular like scene or, you know, we weren't tied to any genres, uh, so to speak. So, you know, Grant growing his hair out and and uh, you know to an extent the handlebar mustache and and. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it really, does, you know, Grant summed it up in the song, It's Not Funny Anymore. It's like, you know, you can do what you want to do. Uh, you know, we kind of got tired of, of being out and, and seeing, like, local, like, hardcore skinhead bands up on stage going, like, be different, be like us, or we'll kick your ass. You right. know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're trying so hard to be different that they're all exactly the fucking same. Exactly. Yep. So I was we were kind of talking about this earlier. How important would you say that the whole like college radio was to Husker Du's career? College radio was, yeah, actually, uh, you know, college radio had a huge impact on us. And I, I think we had a pretty good impact on college radio as well. We were the, uh, the first band on an independent label to get... Um, to have a record get to number one on the CMG uh, CMJ uh, charts, uh, and I think that was maybe flip your wig, flip your wig, or maybe New Day, New Day Rising. But um, in uh, eighty two, uh, eighty two or eighty three, our first trip out east, we were you know we had done the the west coast a couple of times. And then we finally were like, okay, we're going to do this East Coast tour. And we're thinking like, man, are we going to have to like start from scratch and like build up a following? And is it going to be just as hard as like the first, you know, couple of tours out in California were? And we got out there and we played our first show in Boston and it was sold out because everybody knew the band because we've been getting radio airplay ever since Land Speed Record got came out. It's awesome. And... Uh, so, so yeah, college radio had a, you know, had a big in, impact for us, particularly on the East coast, because, you know, by the time we got out there, everybody was already familiar with it. Um, yeah. And unfortunately it doesn't seem like college radio is, is the anywhere near the same impact today as it used to, no. uh, which is too bad, but, yeah. um, so Greg, I got a question. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wondered this. Okay. So I know the story you guys you guys signed to Warner Brothers in 85, um, but you release Flip Your Wig on SST. And is this, did you do this after you signed? Like, had you signed to Warner Brothers, but you had already recorded Flip Your Wig? So 
SST got to put it out? Okay, well, that close. Warner Brothers was ready to sign us uh, in in um, in '86 and would have loved to have had Flip Your Wig. So, um, our, our in '85 because '85 we put out. Um, New Day Rising at the beginning yep. of the year. Flip Your Wig comes out that fall. <laughs> Karen Berg would have absolutely loved to have signed the band and had that be our first Warner Brothers release. Uh, Bob kind of felt that we owed SST one more record as a thanks for everything that they had done to help us out. Yeah. Uh, I didn't necessarily agree with that. Uh, and uh, so SST gets... Flip your wig. Uh, we signed to Warner Brothers and release Candy Apple, uh, record Candy Apple Gray, and give that to them. And then they're like scratching their head, going like, "Hmm, okay, not quite the upbeat record like Flip Your Wig was." Uh, thanks, guys. <laughs>
lot of people, you know, Candy Apple Gray is still kind of a, when you look at it in the, the Husker canon, uh, you know, some people absolutely love it and think it's fantastic. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I could do without that one. So no, I love uh, it. Man. It's interesting. And then, you know, and then we follow that up with a double album. And back then, double albums were <laughs> hard to market. So, yeah. Uh, so that and then, of course, then the band broke up. So we never actually got to record our third record. But yeah, um, the the uh, no, I just. I always thought you guys, I, the story is kind of weird when you hear it. Like it sounded like you had signed to Warner's, but you already had recorded flip your wig. And I thought they had to have been pissed that they didn't get flip your wig. <laughs> I mean, it's the greatest oh, record I, you guys I think had. They were. I definitely, definitely yeah. think that they were pissed that they didn't get it. So, um, personally, I, I would have preferred to have seen that be our first Warner's release, but it wasn't. So, Oh, well, do you do you think um do you think that would have it would have made a bigger impact? I mean it made a big impact on a lot of people I know. I I mean I love that record. It was my first Husker record. Um still my favorite, but do you think it would have, you know, propelled you guys forward a little bit more? I think it would have been a lot um a much more marketable record for Warner Brothers uh, than Candy Apple Gray was, yes. You know, if Candy Apple Gray would have been the sophomore effort on Warner Brothers, a lot of people would be like, oh, okay, I get it. It's, a, it's their sophomore effort. Whatever. <laughs> we'll give them a pass on it. But to have that be the major label debut, it's, um, yeah. So. So did you like the direction that you guys were going in at that point, you know, for, you know, from the early stuff to Zen Arcade to New Day Rise and to Flip Your Wig, I mean, there was steadily moving in a more of a, a, a popular direction. Is that something that, you know, consciously you guys wanted or? I think it was a natural evolution. Uh, you know, there again, it's, it's not, not like we, we sat down around, uh, you know, a, a table having coffee in the morning going like, <laughs> well, what, what trajectory should yeah. we put the band on now? Right. Uh, you know, I, I think as, as songwriters and as, as musicians and, um, you know, I, I think it is. It was a natural progression. Uh, you know, I, I think the uh, the third record, the third Warner's record. You know, I, you could probably take a couple, you know, a few things off of Workbook and a few things off of Intolerance, and uh, and I had a few things uh, working as well. And you know, I, I think the third. Warner's record would have been a very good record, but it never got recorded. So, yeah. uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't think that, that like we weren't abandoning anything, but we definitely were no longer a thrash band. That's for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you ever remember, um, do you ever look back and realize um, how special it was to work with, you know, two great songwriters like Grant and Bob? Oh, absolutely. It's, I've, I've been uh, an extremely uh, lucky, you know, with the, uh, the, the, the people that I've uh, got to um, have the opportunity to, to share life and, and a stage with, you know, Bob and Grant uh, definitely are two incredible songwriters and musicians. And, you know, I mean, I always felt, uh, especially in, in early on with Bob, it's like I, I felt I'm like, holy shit, it's like I am 
playing with like the punk rock Jimi Hendrix. This is awesome, uh, you know. And and um, you know, and then then uh, post Husker, you know, being in a band with with Dave King, who was one of the the top you know drummers in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, and now I'm playing with Ian Prince, and Ian Prince is arguably one of the top drummers. Uh, definitely in in uh, the you know the, in Minnesota, the Twin Cities, uh, possibly you know he I, I put him right up there with Dave King and uh, Casey's songwriting is brilliant. Uh, when I joined the band, I I told Casey one of the reasons I wanted to be in Porcupine is because I believed in him. I believe in his songwriting. Um, you know he's he's the real deal. Uh, he writes great songs. He's you know, he's like, well, I'm not a real orthodox guitar player. And I'm like, well, that's good. I'm not a real orthodox uh, <laughs> bass player. So this should work out. Um, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a lucky guy. I'm, I'm, I definitely know that's right. So in the early days with Husker, I, I was a participant in the songwriting. As the battle between Bob and Grant started <laughs> to, to grow, uh, you know, it became... It, it was a difficult situation that I, I tried to remain neutral. I tried to be Switzerland. I didn't want to pick a side between Bob or Grant. Right. Uh, Grant always did like to kind of lump me in with him just because that it, he felt like, you know, yeah, it's, it's me and you against Bob. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, Bob for, you know, Warehouse, before Warehouse was recorded, told Grant, like, you will never have more songs on a Husker record than I do. Bob wrote probably two to three times as many songs as Grant wrote, but Bob also had more songs that were just kind of like, I think, exercises for him in in writing. Um, You know, Grant, a lot of, you know, Grant's, Grant wrote fewer songs, but more of his, you know, uh, percentage-wise would make it into the set or onto a record. Uh, where Bob would write a lot of stuff and then, you know, it right. would be a smaller percentage of stuff that was keeper type of stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, uh, they were both very prolific writers, but, but it got difficult because, you know, it was a battle between those two over what was going to make it on the record. And if I brought in an idea, they were not real <laughs> super interested <laughs> yeah. in num- number one paying much attention to it or bothering to take it seriously to learn it and make it something good so you know the uh the the song that ended up as a non-lp b-side in england only uh off the warehouse record i thought you know i thought it it turned out pretty good in the studio and then bob was like yeah i don't think there's a place for it on this record oh man and i'm like oh okay so, so you were kind of like in a position of like a George Harrison where you're you're in a band with like a Lennon and McCartney of punk rock, you know what I mean? Between Grant and Bob, I mean, geez, Louise, it had to be hard to compete. Yeah, uh, so yeah, so uh, uh, George Harrison with all the res- respect of Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then, and actually, I, I uh, you know heard uh, an interview that George Harrison did about ten years after after the Beatles broke up and he was talking about the, the same thing where he would walk in and uh, it was like their stuff had to go first because they're the main guys. They knocked out while my guitar gently weeps in an afternoon. And he was thinking like, oh, I thought it was a really good song. I thought we should devote more time to it than an afternoon. Uh, you know, 
it still turned out great in yeah. my opinion i think it's it's you know and maybe that's why it, it's works so well it's it's beautiful in its simplicity i guess but yeah. um yeah so it, it it it's not like i just quit writing songs it's i kind of stop you, you know you pick your battles and um, i just felt like this is a battle i want to want to fight uh so i didn't write anything for candy apple gray uh you know i did bring some you know i and then it's like okay well hey i've got this idea for warehouse and it ends up not making the record um you know and, and i was i was bringing stuff in for um for the new record and you know it was just difficult at that point it was um you know and in in my opinion i think bob in the back of his mind maybe was already trying to plan an exit strategy to launch a solo career uh you know i think with grant being on a major label he just watched all of these things that we always had control over slowly get doled out to other people uh in management or you know other people picking up the duties because that's just how it is when you're on a major label and you're expected to just be the artist and i think you know all of a sudden he he kind of felt like he had um was losing control of of um of the product so mm -hmm. to speak and uh you know which which led him to i think out of boredom turn to other things you know it's like you know one one thing that bob was pissed about besides uh you know grant's extracurricular activity was that it's like what grant started another band called the swallows it's like <laughs> you have to bring all of your best stuff to Husker Du, and and you know which i kind of think is funny now because now it's nowadays it seems like if if you're in a band and you're not in two or three other bands you're you're looked at like you're some sort of slacker it's like dude what are you doing so yeah i don't know so I've always wondered, uh, like post Husker, what did you think of like sugar and stuff like that? Did you like sugar when you first heard that stuff? Yeah, I I, um, I listened to um, you know Bob's solo stuff, and I listened to a lot of the sugar stuff. Um, of course, I I would joke <laughs> when when sugar first came out, it, it was like, oh yeah, why don't you just call it Husker too? Don't sugarcoat <laughs> it, but I'm bum. Uh, but uh, you know, obviously. Uh, good band talented band they went on they you know i think bob i think those guys made a lot of money uh they uh, but uh you know but you know, then then uh you know bob got bored with that and that band breaks up so you know really it's the his latest band uh with jason narducci and john worster i think that i think that's been his longest running combo is though you know those two guys in him uh just as the bob mold band and and uh it's probably the most cohesive thing that that he's had since Husker Du. but yeah i think some of the some of the sugar stuff was good yeah yeah mm -hmm. what do you think of grant stuff like the uh nova mob yeah uh i like nova mob uh, you know the the trouble with Nova Mob was was Grant was kind of his own worst enemy with a lot of stuff. Uh, you know Nova Mob kind of ended up with 
kind of getting a bad reputation for, you know, blowing off gigs or showing up late and, uh, you know, and Grant's just out there being Grant and having a good time and being the artist, you know, uh, and being eccentric and stuff like that. But, you know, definitely it's, um, you know, the, um, the last days of Pompeii and, and, um, uh, that's definitely you know a really good record. The um, I, I think the "Shoot Your Way to Freedom" song is is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with a lot of Grant stuff, especially as he went on, you know, to after Nova Mob and you know his various solo projects. You know, Grant wasn't afraid to totally veer off into an in you know like an entire new sound type of thing. And uh, just for, you know, what he heard for the song. So, uh, and there again, I think, you know, Grant wrote some really brilliant stuff and beautiful lyrics and really heartfelt stuff. And, um, you know, as, as Grant got on in years and did more solo shows, it would be, it would always be interesting to show up to hear him because he was changing the interpretations even of like the old, his old stuff. You know, he wouldn't play it straight. He'd play it how he wanted to play it. So Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So where do you see, um, you know, if Husker Du wouldn't have broke up in, what, 87? I mean, We played our last show on December 11th of 1987. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how long, you know, I mean, what would you guys have become? You know, how long would you become like an REM band or would you, would you kept rocking out, you know? Uh, hard to say. I think, I think, you know, there, there was definitely the, um, I think there, there still would have been some rocking out, but I think there also would have been some exploration. There would have, you know, like, like I said earlier, there would have been evolution. There would have been a natural Mm -hmm. evolution to music. And, um, yeah, I don't think we would have ended up being like turn into Bob Seger or anything like that, but (laughs) hopefully not. Uh, yeah, but I also don't see Husker do it, um, ever getting to a point where they would be like the Foo Fighters either. So, yeah, but if, if you guys would have held on for a couple more years into the early nineties, you might've been kind of like looked at as the godfathers of this alternative scene that happened, you know, with the grunge and all that shit. Right. So, I mean, it could have been totally different. A lot of people already point to who's is exactly is, but know, if you guys were still around predecessor, you know predecessor to alternative and you know, when, when people go like oh well what what were you guys alternative i'm like well no because they didn't have that <laughs> term yet yeah nobody was there weren't any alternative bands yet so and now of course alternative doesn't mean anything because it's the alternative to what <laughs> exactly I always found it interesting, though, that like a lot of the bands in that in your scene, to me, it was like Descendants, Husker Du, you know, even the Pixies to some degree. They all kind of, you guys all kind of disbanded around the same time, you know, five yeah. five well, years Pixies, before the Pixies whole thing. Pixies followed us after we broke up. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, bands like that, they all reunited. So of course, um. You know, of course, Husker Du never reunited, Greg. Um, just wondering, how close was there ever talks? Was it were we even close to getting anything? Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I certainly don't think so. No. 
I didn't yeah, think I, so, but you know, behind closed doors, you never know. Right. Yeah, no, it's uh, no riot fest offers or anything like that. There had to have been offers. Well, if, if there if there were, I never heard about them. So you know, and um, actually, I yeah, you know, I I don't expect to to hear my 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 phone ringing anytime soon for anything from from anybody else that uh, was in the band. So um, yeah, uh, it was. It, it would have been interesting, but, you know, you look, you know, Bob plays, you know, I would say, what, 40% of Bob's set is usually Husker Du material these days. Uh, at the very least, the encore is like solid Husker stuff, so it's it's not like he never stopped playing Husker Du. Right. Uh, you know, Grant continued to play his Husker songs in, in his set along with his newer stuff. Uh you know, it's like when when the replacements got back together, and Tommy Stinson said, "Like, hey, this is a real thrill for me because I never get to play this stuff." So, you know, Westerberg still plays this stuff all the time. For him, it's not that special. Yeah. And it probably would have been the same way for me. I would have been like thrilled if it would have happened, but um, I also knew in the back of my mind that it probably never was going to happen. So. Um, you know, I would say that the closest that we ever got to a, a reunion was a um, uh, four-way conference call that we had, uh, I think, in 2013. I think the first time that we all uh, spoke in, in a setting where we could all hear each other type of thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So you mentioned earlier your uh, Porcupine is going to be playing at First Avenue. Right. We're uh, so... Yep. Uh, actually this Saturday night, so cool. uh, the 19th of January, it's the Currents uh, uh, 14th birthday party. And then uh, actually we have a bunch of bunch of dates coming up. We're, we're uh, going to play Chicago uh, at Shuba's opening for Warbly Jets, and then we'll be in Eau Claire at the Plus headlining uh, a show. That's uh, the weekend right after Valentine's Day. The Big Turn Music Fest in Red Wing uh, will be headlining the Elks Club on the 23rd. So essentially we're closing out the, the, the festival. Uh, that'll be a fun night. Um, Ultrasounds, Busey, uh, uh, Mark Ballman is is also on that bill at, at the Elks. Uh, Big Turn's got a, a great lineup this year. The following weekend, we're going to Omaha, Lawrence, Kansas, Iowa City, and then we come back. We're going to uh, kick off... Um, uh, an eight-night run with the Flesh Eaters as uh, direct support. We're going to open for them in St. Paul at the Turf Club, and then we're heading east. We're doing Chicago, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Boston, Philly, D.C., and then we finish on uh, St. Patrick's Day in New York. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a lot of shows coming up. That's really cool. So what is it like playing First Avenue with a new band, and then you're loading in, and your old band's got a freaking star on the side of the building? Is that kind of weird for you? <laughs> you, you know, our, our first uh, uh, show at, at First Ave that we did was a week after Grant passed away. Uh, and uh, we were open up for, for Babes in Toyland. Uh, it was great to be back on that stage. But, it, you know, it was the first time I'd been on the main room stage in like 30 years. Yeah. The, uh, the band that opened for us, Bruce Violet, 
they were all like 20 years old. They weren't even old enough to drink. And I'm like, wow. So the last time I was on this stage, yeah, this band had, hadn't even been conceived as like literally like conceived. Right. Uh, and then when we got, got done playing, their bass player gave us a huge compliment. She was said, yeah, my mom really liked you guys. <laughs> we're like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> yep. That's so cool, the, man. the new EP is called, uh, what you've heard isn't real. It's out on DC Jam Records and Dead Broke Records. Um, yep. It's got a uh, Husker Du cover on there, Standing by the Sea. Whose idea was that? Who brought that to the table? Uh, July 1st of um, uh, 2017, Lori Barbero put together kind of a, a surprise show for Grant at the Hook and Ladder where she invited mm-hmm. a bunch of his friends to just play Grant songs. So we got up and we did a five-song Hoosker set, including Standing by the Sea. And... Uh, after that, after that show, uh, we decided to keep it in the set. And the first 
the next show that we played it at was that First Avenue show uh, with with Babes in Toyland. So, um, and then it was after that we played that show. We're like, yeah, I, I, you know, Ian's like, yeah, you know, I think when we go in to record, let's let's record that too. And I'm like, I'd love to. I think it would be a great tribute to Grant, and I, you know, I think it's a great song, and I, I love our interpretation of it. So it's. Yeah, I think it definitely sounds like Porcupine, but it's definitely standing by the sea as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know you know about this, uh, but um, was there anything crazier or more surprising than to hear uh, Robert Palmer covering New Day Rising? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that's that's probably the craziest cover that I did hear. And actually... Um, you know, I, I heard about it. It was probably like, I don't know, maybe a year or two after I heard about it that I actually heard the clip. And I was like, holy shit, that's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, it's like New Day Rising. And uh, doesn't he like go into like a ZZ Top song after that or something? It's, I think so, yeah. Yeah. But uh-huh. uh, no, that was crazy to hear that Robert Palmer was a Husker Du fan. It's like, what the hell? So, <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how do you find out about that back in the day? I mean, now of course we have YouTube; we can watch that. But uh, you know, actually, I, I don't think I, I knew about that until after you know um, uh, after I, I I got a, bought a PC and had access to YouTube. So um, you know, I got I think my first home computer in two thousand. Seems like just yesterday. Yeah, I was I was well, assuming you weren't wait for Al Gore to create the inter- interwebs, right? <laughs> I was I was assuming you weren't following Robert Palmer, so uh, you know actually I I'm I was a fan. I thought he put together some entertaining music, so <laughs> I did not realize he was a Husker fan though. So kind of crazy. That's, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, looking back at the logo, um, classic logo, Grant. You know he designed it right um obviously he kind of stole it from the game um he changed the macrons he replaced them with those umlauts or whatever they're called um just so you guys wouldn't get sued um the logo i mean how it's so iconic now how do you i mean you got to be proud of that right yeah uh you know so so uh i i came up with the uh the, I made the suggestion to call ourselves Husker Du. Okay. And, uh, you know, every, everybody agreed to it. And then Grant was, you know, basically put together the, the typeface and we decided to go with umlauts because we thought it looked more kind of punk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Wasn't, wasn't trying to avoid any lawsuits or anything like that. But, uh, uh, you know, Grant put it out in, in the type and was looking at it and going like, I don't know, it needs something. So then he decided to like rip it in half and then put it back together. And we were like, yeah, that, that looks great. That's it. So then that's, that's became the logo. It's iconic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard that's uh Motley Crue stole that from you guys too. So <laughs> they were fans of who's do. And that's why they did the umlauts. So, uh, yeah, that, that uh, and, um, um, Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite, like, story of touring in the early days? Is there anything really fucking crazy that happened that you just think about from time to time? 
you know the 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 first few tours we did, you know, we were looking for for couches and floors to sleep on, and uh, you know, trying to to do everything as as cheap as possible, and uh, you know, it ended up being that every you know it it got to a point where every place that we would stay ended up being where the after party was. And then everybody would want to sit, come over and party your your face off, and they got to call in sick to work the next day, and you had to like get in the van and drive to the next city where the next after party was going to happen after your show and do it all over again. Um, so it's like we decided to get um, you know get a get a hotel room, the very like first hotel room. We got like one room. It's like I think I slept on the floor. Bob and Brant each took a bed. You know, it was like a no-name mom and pop like place. And in the morning, there was like no hot water. And <laughs> uh, you know, it's like oh, it's, it's kind of Bates Motel-ish here. But uh, um, I don't know. It's that that first tour we did in 1981. You know, we ended up in San Francisco for like three weeks, just kind of hanging out uh, and and staying at Jello Biafra's house and. Uh, we were there long enough that basically it's like Biafra like gave me a, a uh, rent receipt and I was able to go down and um, uh, get show, uh, you know, get some food stamps. It's like, you know, we were living on like a $2 a day per diem. <laughs> like, Shit, we need, we need to get some food. So got some food stamps. And then I think we all like uh, pooled our, our per diem together then since we didn't have to buy uh, food with with that we had food stamps for that and we we bought some generic beer with our cash and uh, <laughs> you know just the the white can that said beer on it and, uh, we would take sharpies and decorate the cans fascinating story i'm sure but <laughs> yeah those were the good old days hell yeah so yeah. was there who was your favorite band to tour with well you know we we played a i would have to say the Minutemen. Cool. Nice. Out of uh, all the all the bands that we did a lot of shows with, those guys were, um, you know, the closest, and and um, you know, our um, ended up being being best friends. And I mean, we we played with a lot of great bands, but uh, definitely the the Minutemen were, I'd say, number one. Meat Puppets, right right behind them. So right on, cool. Yeah. So um, I gotta know, man. Can you uh, can you pick a favorite Husker Du record? Uh, that's like asking somebody to pick out their favorite kid. <laughs> now, of course, you know you have one, but you're not going to say which <laughs> kid's your favorite. Uh, I always look at, at, at uh, records as being a um, like a snapshot of a period of time. Uh, it's it's a photograph of where you are at in the evolution of of your uh, musical story arc. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, so, the, the correct like each answer one for different reasons, right the, uh, including the, Land Speed Record. I like that one too. I go uh, flip your wig, so love it. Yep, great, hey, great record. Whose idea was it to cover Donovan? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't re- recall if it was Bob or Grant, but um, or or if it's, it might have been even somebody not in the band that. that may have suggested I, I i can't recall but we added it to the set early on and then um you know decided to take it into the studio yeah i love that version it's great mm-hmm. 
so hey, I just I just thought of something too. Um, is it true you guys used to share an office with Twin Tone? Right. So uh, the uh, the studio where we recorded pretty much everything after New Day Rising uh, was on Nicollet Avenue, uh, Nicollet and Twenty Sixth in in South Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Twin Tone had um, had their offices in that same building. Our offices were kind of like down the hallway from theirs. So we didn't actually share an office. We were in the okay. same space separated by a hallway. So, so was it, there was, was there ever, I mean, why, why weren't you guys ever on Twin Tone? I mean, I know you're on SST, but was there some rivalry there with the replacements being on there? Or what can you say about that? We submitted a uh, demo to Twin Tone uh, back in like 79, uh, early 1980 maybe. And, and uh, each one of the three, Twin Tone was three principals, three owners. And uh, each one of the three guys liked a different song and none of them could agree on the same one. So um, they decided to pass on it. And that's when we... we uh, uh, put out uh, statues back with amusement on our own label called reflex because yep. we decided that was our reflex to getting rejected by twin town. <laughs> cool. Yep. So anyway, I am, uh, I'm actually back in red wing now. So we have okay. been chatting for a while. Yeah. Greg, thanks so much, man. This is really cool for us. Yeah. Thanks. This is great. Um, have fun out there with porcupine and, uh, anybody listening, go check them out. And, uh, thanks buddy. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Greg. Yep, bye. Have a good one. All right, man, there you go. Uh, Greg Norton, who's Kurdu, Porcupine. Um, I don't know. I guess if... I can't think of many more people that are, you know, in our type of music that I'd want to talk to. How about you? That was super cool, dude. That dude's a fucking yeah, legend, obviously. Dude, yeah, with Who's Could Do, man, I, you know, you think of, um, when I think of Who's Could Do, immediately you think of these awesome songs, right? Then you you think of Bob Mould's fucking guitar sound, yeah. and you think of a ride cymbal, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the next thing I think of is that fucking mustache, man, right? I mean... Greg is like the face of that band. Totally. Everybody knows. I mean, if you had to describe a guy in that band, you know, the casual fan, they're describing Greg. Yeah. I can so, see that. so fucking cool that he talked to us. Um, yeah, very cool. I, I really wanted to ask him um, whose songs he liked more, Bob or Grant, but <laughs> can't do it. Um, right. Where do you go, man? What do you, what do you think? Uh, well, I'd probably lean I, more towards Bob. Dude, I shake it up. People get pissed at me, but I go Grant, man. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good ones too, though, you know. A lot of good ones. But I think for me, what tips the scales is I love the way Bob plays guitar. I love how he has a lot of open and ringing strings. He has his own, like, it's the Bob Mold sound, you know what I'm saying? It's a thing. Yeah, that's his thing. recognizable, you know what I mean? Yep. It's like some guitar players have a thing that's instantly recognizable, and he's one of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no one's really been able to uh, to copy the Husker sound that um, that band, the Subjunctives, you know. Yeah. From Seattle, 
the Ian, you know, Ian used to be in sicko. Now the subjunctives, um, he's obviously coming close, but you know, yeah, he'll he, never be. <laughs> he, he's on a quest to obtain that guitar tone, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's pretty much got it, but you know, obviously they're not who's could do. So, right. But, um, yeah, man, it was cool. Um, I liked how he said he was, uh, you know, something about a, uh, wasn't waiting on a call from former, a former member. We, we know what that's about. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, yeah. which sucks, man. It would be cool. It would have been really cool, um, man. A little too late now though, right? Yep. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, check them out. Porcupineband.com. You get some tour dates there. They're, they're going out East right now. Um, they're 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 not a pop punk band they don't sound like Husker do but they're super fun um yeah go check them out man loud ugly pop that's all i can say right on all right man well this was fun and uh yeah, yeah. thanks Talk so much everyone who listens and uh keep listening share like do all that social shit for us if you can thanks for listening and uh we'll leave nate with the last words goodbye <laughs>